I love it when Jenna does notice. It's just absolutely fantastic. Give her a big round of applause. <laughs> She's much better than Richard Gathard. <laughs> I love you, bro. <laughs> well, two weeks ago when I tried to preach, I lost my voice halfway through the sermon. And in fact, Louis had to preach for me at the second service, didn't you, bro? And uh, I've actually, I'm going to take it a little easy on my voice. I don't want that to happen again. But, uh, you know, uh, part of the message, an important part of the message is that in our weakness, God is strong. So I'm, I'm praying and trusting that God will do what he wants to do. So... Uh, Let's just pray and I'll get straight into it. Lord, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity, the freedom we have of speaking of you. And I pray, Lord God, as I try and pick up the, the threads of that message on the, the, what, what the scriptures call the, the message of the talents, that Lord God, you will do what you want to do. You'll have your way among us. And Lord, I give you full permission, Lord God, to interrupt my my, my ramblings with, with a move of your spirit, Lord God, I, 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 I want to defer to you. And uh, Lord, I, I just want to acknowledge my weakness before you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, come and be glorified in this place and build your church, Lord God. Not something after our own imaginings, but build your church in the way you want it to be. So thank you, Lord, now for this opportunity that I have to share about you. And I pray that it'll find its mark, Lord God, that it'll find its mark. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, two weeks ago, and uh, wasn't last week fun? If you didn't see it, do please go on the podcast and videocast thing because it was such a, a great and encouraging and uplifting time. And, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, it was one of those um, signature visits to India. So many elements there that uh, were honoring to God, and the team did an awesome job. I see some of you in the congregation now, so God bless you. But before that, I uh, attempted to preach uh, uh, Matthew, is it 20, 25, isn't it? Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. As I said in my introduction a couple of weeks ago, all through the summer, the Lord's been talking to me about this, and I'm still unpacking it. I'm still going before him and asking him to help me to understand. And, uh, and really, I just think he's... he's really wanting to oppress upon us the blessing that we have in this place and the blessings that are flowing from this place and that as he gives us more and he is giving us more, we've said this whole year it's been an open heaven and some, once or twice I've not been sure, you know, but, but actually uh, as one looks back over the year it is extraordinary how God is moving and blessing and uh, in, in individual lives but corporately in the influence that we have and the opportunities that we have and uh, I've been invited with Dennis tomorrow to go. I'm not going to tell you about what, what it is, but see, suffice it to say that Dennis and I have been invited up to London to meet with uh, church leaders, national church leaders, to discuss some uh, very important, pertinent matters about uh, our society at the moment. But just to be invited out of the blue to that. There is, a, there is you know, God is giving us some profile. And of course, the word of God says that, you know, a city on a hill cannot be hid. Now, how does that make me feel? Does it make me feel pumped up and, 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 and great? It actually makes me feel weak at the knees. You know, what have we got to offer? I mean, what can we say? And all this kind of stuff. 
And more and more as I go through ministry, I find myself, and I started strong, but I, I finish, I'm finishing weak, but hopefully in my weakness, God is strong. And that's what I really want to lay upon you guys and, and tr- encourage you with. So to summarize, because I felt that the message was important, and I hope that it went forth, and Louis did an outstanding job picking up the second service. But uh, I, I said the main bullet points about this message two weeks ago was, was that God equips us according to our abilities. That story begins with the master calling three servants to him, and he entrusted uh, sums of money, actually very significant sums of money to each one of them, uh, but he gave an amount. Is that me then? Or is that the monitor? I'm sorry. Do, do, okay. It must be the monitor. Um, he gave them that which he thought they could handle. And what I take away from that is that every single one of us here is given something of God. Now, some of you may f- say, what? What have I been given? I, I, I don't know. I'm going to try and talk to that in just a moment. But I do believe that God entrusts to us something of his spirit, which is why the body of Christ is so important. If you're not here on a Sunday or at Connect Group or at ministry time, if you're not here, we are the weaker. We are the weaker. He meant it to be like this. Not one of us, no single person has all the answers or all the, the power. Out of the body, you know, uh, then, then there's something awesome. God can do awesome things, takes ordinary people and does awesome things together. And together we've accomplished some extraordinary things over 30 years. But individually, you know, we're just doing the best we can. So that was the first thing. The second thing is much is expected to whom much is given. You know, every time God gives us favor or God sort of sends more people to us or God, I mean, this church is rich in leaders. For me, I find that quite burdensome in one sense, not because I'm threatened by them, but I feel a responsibility to... Uh, you know, t- to see that that leadership gift amongst us is facilitated so that we make the most of it. God forbid that I should stand before God on glory and say, did you know that you had, uh, the, the, you know, the, the 21st century's version of Billy Graham there or John Whistler, but they sat four rows and your neighbor even said good morning. You know, oh, God forbid, you know, I would hate that, you know. We're, so, so we're always looking to encourage, you know, and often thrown some of you in the deep end. I remember throwing Wendy in the deep end, except she swam, didn't just swim. She, she, did, she, she did synchronized swimming, you know. <laughs> swim? My gosh, Wendy. Wonderful, outstanding communicator and preacher. But anyway, so I say this, you know, it is a responsibility. God gives us and expects, you know, much is expected of us. And then there is a reward. And what is the reward? That we can all sit back and drink pina coladas beside the pool and wherever. No, we get more responsibility. Like, ah! You know, what am I going to do with this now, you know? And so that's the way the kingdom works. To whom much is given... Much is expected. And when we are faithful, the reward is just the same. Be you the senior pastor or be you somebody who just walked through the door, maybe like Danny a few months ago, who had, had no faith to speak of at that point. The reward, we get to go to heaven. And if that isn't enough, and if God isn't enough, then I, I pity you. And, and I don't pretend to know what all that that's going to look like, but I, I know it's going to be wonderful. Eye has not seen or mind conceived 
the wonders that God has prepared for those who love him. And I'm holding on to that. I'm holding on to that. So we get paid the same. Responsibility levels differ, but much is expected of us. And much is expected of us as a community. Um, success is measured by faithfulness. And uh, you know, I made the point that, that faithfulness in the scriptures is, is active obedience. It's not passive assent. Now you do hear some Christians sometimes interpreting faithfulness in their own lives as you know, passive assent. They don't do anything, they just quietly believe and they live out their days and then they pop their clogs and they go to be with Jesus. Well, God bless them, I hope that's true. But that's not a biblical view of faithfulness. Am I right or am I right? Faithfulness is active obedience. You know, if the parable of the talents teaches us anything, it's about what you do, not what you don't do. It's about what you do. Now, that is a challenge, I understand, if you're in that place where you want to do God's will, you just don't know what God wants you to do. You know, I understand that. I've been pastoring a long time. I understand those wrestles, and I've had them myself. I'll try and address that in just a moment or two. And then all of this is in the context of the king's return, You know, there's a sense of urgency because the king, the master, the lord, the noble, whichever of these various stories, and there are a number of these stories, we're going to read Luke's one in a minute, which are on the very similar. The master is about to return. The king is about to return. Jesus is about to return. Don't ask me whether I think it's a week next Tuesday. That would be very inconvenient because I'm having my car serviced. Um, But he's coming back. He's coming back. Truthfully, you know, he's coming back. And what the scripture says about that is that it'll be business as usual. It'll be a gray Tuesday. I'm not, this is not prophetic. It'll be a gray Tuesday and you'll be in the bus queue or something like that. Or you'll be rammed in the, the tube train and suddenly God will come. It'll be sudden and it'll be extraordinary. It could happen now. I may not finish this sermon, not because my voice backs up, but because Jesus comes back. And I'll just say to the Lord, if I'd known, I wouldn't have bothered to prepare. You know? <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. That's the way the scripture describes it. You know, we'll be going about our business and suddenly God will be there. And we will not, be, we, will, we will struggle to comprehend, to believe, to know, and to process what is suddenly happening to us. And for many, it'll be a time of great fear. That's why we're driven by this need to share the good news that more and more and more might come home, might be welcomed home, might be saved. It is not okay by me that there are people in this city, this region, that do not know Christ and just need an invitation. Sorry I keep pointing at you, Danny, my friend. You know, all Danny needed was some faithful friend to say, well, why don't you come along? Nobody had ever explained the gospel to him before. So it's not okay with me. It's not okay with God that people are on the road to hell at this moment. And he wants us to step up and to make the most of these opportunities. Be bold in your, in your workplace, in your college place, at the, ch- at the school gate. You know, be bold. This is a season of open heaven. We're actually weak in the knees, gut-wrenching you know, anxiety, not anxiety, but, 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 but wobbliness about sharing anything about your faith. This is the time to do it. You know, that, that, that experience is common to all of us because this is a season where the Holy Spirit is working with us. And he's like a coach who walks with us, not shouts at us from the sideline. I've often said that. He walks with us saying, come on now, come on, come on. 
You can do it. So that's a kind of a recap, and I've planned to spend that amount of time, so I'm, I'm good. So would you turn with me? It'll go on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles with you, and I do love seeing people bringing their Bibles with them, uh, or your smart devices or whatever, just turn with me to Luke chapter 19. This, is, this, by the way, is not gin or coffee or anything like that. It's just warm water. <laughs> Did you put some gin in there? <laughs> Luke 19, right. Now, this story is a similar story to the parable of the talents. And what I want to say, there isn't enough time to unpack this, but this story, as it unfolds, you'll see the similarities. There are some important differences. But I love the way that this is positioned. It's positioned, it's a story about you know, a, a leader, a noble, who goes away and calls 10 servants and gives them a minor. And I said the talent was about, was you know, a year and a half's wages or 15 years' wages or something. A minor is about a month's wages. So this nobleman, this king, as he becomes, calls together a bunch of his servants and he gives them all a minor. He says, now go and make me some money with that. Uh, and then he goes away and he comes back and there's a kind of a, he, he holds the, his followers to account. What have you done? How have you, how have you done? And we're going to read about that. But what I love about this is that it comes immediately prior to Jesus' going into Jerusalem. Now, his ministry thus far, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, has basically, he's been to Jerusalem before, but it's basically been out in the villages and the, the fields, and he's had, you know, on the hillsides, he's had great success with the people of the land. But now he's on the road to Jerusalem, and what's going to happen there is he's going to die on the cross. It's going to look like a horrible chain of, over, of events where his enemies get the better of him and pin him to a cross. That's what it looks like. But throughout the scriptures, there are 700, over 700 references to the Messiah. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. And throughout the scriptures, there is this sense that the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, Jesus Christ, is going to have to suffer. But it won't be an accident that he suffers. He will suffer in order to take our sin upon himself. If you can imagine a big brother, you know, you're being bullied in the street and your big brother, this is a ridiculous example, but I think you'll get the sense of it. A big bully, you know, you're, you're being bullied in the street and your big brother comes and rescues you. He says to you, as he gets set upon by everybody, all these bullies, he says, run, run. And you run off scot-free and he takes the shellacking from these, this gang. Now that's just a little story Essentially, at its simplest level, that's what Jesus has done. We are, as we sung, we, are, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what Jesus has done is he has stepped in before God and taken the punishment that's due us so that we can walk scot-free and go to heaven. That's what Christianity is about. That's the gospel. That's what we call the gospel. If you ever heard that expression and didn't know what that meant, that's the gospel. That Christ has died for our sins that he rose again from the dead because he's God and God raised him up and he's coming again. But he's coming to judge the quick and the dead as it says in the old Nicene Creed. He's coming to judge and he's coming to bring his reward and his salvation for those who love him and have come to know him. So that's why the times are urgent. So that's the kind of gist of the story but I love the way Luke positions it just before his entry into Jerusalem because what happens after he's finished this bit of teaching is actually... 
played out in reality. He comes in, you know, they herald him as a king, and then the people turn against him, and he ends up being, you know, killed. It's, it's kind of weird how the teaching mirrors the reality. So let's look at this passage then, and then I've got two or three points I want to bring out of it, and then we may have time for ministry, I don't know. <clears throat> so, uh, what verses am I looking at? 11, here we go. Luke 19, 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Many f- believers thought, this is it. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Kingdom of God's going to be established. It's going to be hunky-dory. Little did they know. Jesus said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself anoint- appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects, and this is an interesting twist that Luke puts in here, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. No, 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 leave us, let me be. We want to do our own thing. We don't want this king over us. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the disciples to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Wow. Success in the kingdom, faithful obedience, active obedience, And the reward is more responsibility. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You can take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. You wicked servant, the master said. I will judge you by your own words. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man and I take out, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Sir, they said, oh, he already has 10 And he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those those enemies of mine, not my servants, he's just been talking to the servants, those enemies of mine, you know, the others, who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Wowza. Now, I just want to say one thing before I make the point I want to, really felt God wanted me to make today. That third servant said, you're a hard man. You know, I know you to be a hard man, and you, you, know, you, you get what you didn't put in, and this kind of stuff. And I think that the nobleman, or the king, because he's been made this king, his, his response at that point is ironic. He kind of says, excuse me? Did I just hear what you Excuse, really? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, it's an ironic statement. The nobleman's response to that third servant is ironic. 
Is he making excuses or whatever? I don't know. But what I do know is this, that that servant did not know God. That servant did not know his master. That servant did not know the Jesus we know. I mean, it says, interestingly enough, if you read on this afternoon, I encourage you to do it, a little bit of background reading if you like. It says that Jesus then rode on into the city after this bit of teaching, and he was overcome when he saw the city. He started to weep. And even though this city had resisted him and the religious leaders there had opposed him and undermined him and would ultimately be responsible for sending him to the, the cross through betrayal and just et cetera, et cetera. He nonetheless, he weeps over that city. There's a passage earlier on in Luke where Jesus weeps over the city. And what is his heart for that city? Not that they should all burn as a crisp or not that his enemies should be thrown down. He says, it says that he, 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 he wept over the city and uh, he said, if only you would have let me gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you did not know me. You did not recognize who I was. Um, uh, this may sound as a, like a jibe. It's not. It's a teaching point. When I'm ministering to Roman Catholics, and some of you have come from a Roman Catholic background, I, I usually have to say something along the lines of, God is not trying to trick you out. One of the kind of, it seems to be very common, but it may be common with others. People, they don't know God, but they think God's trying to catch them out. And they wish they hadn't known God because now they've got all this stuff they think they've got to do and got to behave this way and all that kind of stuff. God is not trying to catch you out. He's not kind of God. He's not a hard man. Got it? God is, is a God who embraces us, who wants to cherish us. Those are lies of the enemy that the enemy has sown in the master's harvest, and you're his harvest, so that some might be destroyed. When you face the Lord, and you will face the Lord, do not say to him, I know you to be a hard God, so I was paralyzed, I wasn't able to do anything. It's not like that. He wants to cherish. That's what he wants to do. So, uh, you know, just a little point there. Now, the three things, the reason I wanted to pick up this story, this version, it may have been a different story, because, I mean, I tell, I mean, some of you, to my shame, you know, you've walked nearly 30 years with me, and you've heard me tell the same old story a zillion times. Put your hand up if you've told me, if you've heard me tell stories more than once. Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay, put your hands down. What did I ask that for? <laughs> you know, it's a great teaching point. Jesus probably taught his, he had new parallels, but he probably used the same parallels again. Anyway, Luke's reporting this version. In this version, we've got 10 servants. And in our staff meeting, one of the staff, we were talking about this sermon, what I was going to say, and a couple of them came up with some very good points, which I'm going to just share with you. But one of them said to me, they said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in a different kind of servant. Or a, or a servant who, who, who did a different thing. And that's what I want to I, I look at. The, the other seven, the other seven. You know, we hear about, you know, t 10 get a gift and are sent off to make money and all the rest of it. Three of them, we find out how they got on. And we can read again that if you wish. But what about the other seven? How did they do? 
Uh, it doesn't say. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna, one of the things I want to ask Jesus, what, how did the other set, I'm just curious, how did the other set get on, you know? And I wonder whether any of the seven were like this. Was there a servant? And this was what my staff said to me. Was there a servant there who really, really tried? Who actually, you know, with the best will in the world, took that miner and, and tried to invest it or put it in a business or, or something. And maybe they got ripped off or scammed. And they're quivering at this kind of lineup of servants who are going to give an account because they've got nothing. Because they actually tried, but they, they invested badly or something. They failed. They failed. Now, often it is said in the world, and I never like this, and thank, thankfully it's not being said so much, but when you're watching some Hollywood uh, you know, war movies, they say, failure is not an option. I did that quite well, didn't I? Just say that with me. Failure is not an option. Rubbish. Failure, and this, I'm not the first to say this, failure is a necessity. Say that with me. Failure is a necessity. First of all, it implies that you're trying. Secondly, I have always learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Does anybody identify? Anybody agree with me? You know, nobody likes to go through failure. But actually, I've learned more through failure than I have through success. I'm not going to waste time boring you with my failures. Another time, perhaps. It's taking this voice easy. The truth of the matter is that uh, actually, if you, if you speak to entrepreneurs, great men of faith, if you read autobiographies about uh, uh, politicians and creative artists, they will, the story always involves isolation, misunderstanding, near bankruptcy or even bankruptcy. You know, the story always has that kind of an element to it. Uh, I think you probably know Abraham Lincoln, great president of the United States. Uh, he failed time and time and time again in just about everything he did until he became that Abraham Lincoln who took it upon himself to support the abolition of slavery. Well, to support the, you know, breaking down the segregation. And now, we, we, here I am in, in St. Albans in the 21st century trying to remember him, you know, because he did good. Boy, he did good. But he failed time and time again. Now, I want to speak to some of you here. Some of you here are in a place where, you know what, you came to Christ, and, I'm going to talk, and it may be true of life itself, but uh, other areas of life, but I want to talk about the real life, this life, your faith walk. I want to say to you, some of you started well and you, you attempted something, you got really enthusiastic, you gave yourself to something, you, you, you worked hard for something, you made the sacrifice in terms of time, energy, and money. It might have been in this church, it may have been in a previous church for all I know, and it just went bad. Somebody let you down or something broke or you, you just burnt out. Or, there was a whole host of reasons. And I want to say to you this, how does God, review, how does God view failure like that? 
I haven't got time to teach it. You need to read it. You need to do the background work. Think of Peter. Did great things, really did good, then failed catastrophically when he denied Jesus, having sweared categorically that he would not deny Jesus. And what was the result of that? Judas, the betrayer, the one who sold Jesus to, uh, you know, to the Pharisees and teachers, religious people, he was covered in shame. And he went and hung himself. He couldn't carry it. He couldn't hack it. I put it to you that Peter was, was burdened with the same shame, the same regret, but he didn't hang himself. He hung on in there. And then the Lord Jesus himself, God himself, initiated an encounter where he said, Peter, do you love me? And in that moment, knowing that he could not lie, and even though the facts appeared to be, you know, different, Peter had to say to God's question, I do. What a paradox. Peter was torn by this paradox. I love him, and yet I failed him. How many of you love someone but have failed them dramatically? How many of you have failed God and are now paralyzed? You haven't hung yourself, but you've not done anything. I am here to say to you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, do you love me? And if you can answer that, Jesus says to you, feed my sheep. God does not, he's not thwarted by failure. He's thwarted thwarted by, by inactivity, apathy, ongoing denial. But if if you're a servant, a fourth servant, who has done their level best to serve the Lord God, but failed in your own eyes and maybe, maybe in the eyes of others for whatever reason, today is a day when God says to you, do you love me? I still love you. Are we going to walk on from this or are you going to go and hang yourself? You may not go out into a field and hang yourself, but in terms of a Christian, you kill yourself. You shut off, you shut down, you deny the Lord. Powerful word. Powerful word. So, failure is a necessity. We learn from it. Peter went on to be the leader of the church. Our dear Catholic brothers see him as the founder of the church, and Jesus actually said to him, You are Peter, and upon you I will found the church. You see, Jesus knows what he's letting himself in for when he takes us on. That was the main thing I wanted to say. The second thing I want to say, and just to wrap this up now, is that some of you, you may be, uh, a fifth servant may have been an apathetic servant. A servant who didn't go and invest that money, that miner, didn't go and bury it in the soil, who went home and said to his wife or partner or 
boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever, look what the master's going to be. I've got to, got to make some more money. Right, uh, I'm going to put it in this, in this, uh, uh, you know, uh, this, this tin on the mantelpiece and uh, got to think about what we're going to do with that. And it's up there. And, oh, yeah, I must get around to doing something about that. And, oh, I've got some great ideas. I'm going to do something about that. You know, good intentions will send you to hell. You know, we, 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 we uh, what's the word? We kind of medicate ourselves. We, 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 we say, good intentions is enough. You know, uh, I'm a nice person, really, aren't I? I am a nice person. I'm not a nasty person. I'm a nice person. And that miner is on that shelf. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm a bit busy at the moment, but I am going to, you know what? I am going to do something with that, and it's going to be awesome. What? The Lord's just come back? You know, apathy will kill you. Faithfulness is active obedience. That might have been a fifth servant. And the sixth servant, and again, I'm indebted to us, my, my staff giving me this one. Maybe someone who actually, you know what, it just feels overwhelmed. Maybe you're just sitting here feeling overwhelmed. Just so weak. I don't know what God's given me. I don't know what to do about it. And I said, in fact, it was Richard. I said, okay, Richard, if that's the case, if that's the scenario, what, what, would, you, what would you do? What, what do I say to the people? How do I help them? It's all very well pointing a finger at them and saying, you're, you're, you're feeling pretty weak now. You can't do anything. And he said, invest, Richard said this is real wisdom. He said, invest in another's ministry until God gives you your own. So just don't do nothing and just feel weak like a blob Invest in another's ministry. I mean, uh, you know, Jenna mentioned the ministry focus involved, you know, at the back there. If you're doing nothing in the church, please, please, what's it going to take? Please. Okay, God may anoint you to lead thousands to Christ or build great churches or, you know, become prime minister of England or something like that. God may give you that call. But in the meantime, would you please go and help the car parking crew? You know, while you're waiting... Oh, please don't do nothing. There's a whole host of ministry opportunities there. Stand at the back, you know, and find out, and let's get involved. Let's get something going here, you know. So I could go on, you know, have some fun yourself, you know, think about what, what, what were the other servants like? Maybe you're a servant who's failed. Maybe you're a servant who's apathetic, just haven't got around to it yet. I, I, I really, honestly, I haven't buried it in the sun. I'm not like that servant who buried it in the No, it's really precious. It's on the mantel shelf. I'm, I'm going to do so, something soon, in a minute. Or maybe a servant just feels so weak, so overwhelmed. I've got so much going on in my life. Listen, God has given you something. And if you don't know what it is or how to do it, Invest in another ministry, part of the body. Get, get behind somebody else who has got something going on. Go and sign up at the, the ministry desk. God loves you. Let's have the, the team back up for worship. God loves you. He's not trying to trick you. But he's calling us to active service. Active service. Say this. I am being called to active service. 
Stand up and say that with me. I'm taking this out of, Louis taught me how to do this. This is kind of good, isn't it, this kind of thing. I like this. Just, we're going to say that together. Stand, standing. And just, I want you to hear this. So say it again with me. I am called to active service. Let's do it. Lord God, we just want to say thank you to you for all the privileges that you're giving us and the responsibilities that you're giving us. Lord, you are not a hard man. You are not one who reaps where he doesn't sow. Lord, you are a good, good father. And you, like the good, good father you are, need us to grow up and take our place in the family business. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Very kind.